welcome to the Chaya Podcast. I am so excited to be here today as your hostess. My name is Nicole Napovar. For those of you who are new to the Chaya Podcast, this is a sacred platform where we interview Jewish Iranians who are just crushing it in all areas of life and here to impart wisdom to our community and all things collectivistic about our culture. So I am so excited today to have my very special friend, and my token white girl, Ashley Stahl, who is a counterterrorism professional turned career coach and author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, and design your dream career. She's on a mission to help you step into a career you're excited about and align with. Through her two virtual TEDx speeches, her online courses, and her show, U-Turn Podcast, she's been able to support clients in over 31 countries in discovering their career path, upgrading their confidence, and landing more job offers. So I am so excited, and let's get started. Hello, my little treat. <laughs> Thanks for having me. What's up, Haya? I'm so excited to be chatting with you today about some career clarity and money mindset and just getting into purpose a little bit more. I know as my best friend, you hear me talking about our incredibly nuanced and strange and amazing <laughs> community as my white or aka american best friend your, your it's token like, white friend <laughs> literally you're always kind of blown away and it's a good laugh but i'm excited for us to kind of talk today a little bit more about how people in our community can experience more impact in their career and just kind of release limitations around money mm -hmm. so as you know and as our listeners know i think some of the themes when I myself also as a psychotherapist have Jewish Iranian clients coming into my practice for the woman what I'm seeing a lot of is I'm not really sure what I want to do mm -hmm. and I feel uncomfortable making more money than my guy mm -hmm. I don't want to intimidate him there's a lot of stuff around sort of that in a woman and then with the men I'm seeing a lot of just pressure to make a certain amount of money and provide a certain amount of this lifestyle, mm -hmm. which I guess is more of a conversation about relationships and yeah. who men are picking and all of that. I but think career I'm, plays into all of it. Yeah, for sure. So I would love to just kind of pick your brain a little bit today on money mindset and career clarity. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing that came to mind when you were saying that women are afraid to make more money or intimidate somebody is to me when you're making a lot of money you're just providing a lot of value because people pay for value you know like people work for their money so when they're giving up their money it's because something's more valuable than the time they spent making that money mm -hmm. and so when somebody says I don't want to make as much money or I want to dim that and turn down the volume on that to me I'm just hearing somebody say I don't want to be with somebody who is going to be intimidated by me providing extraordinary value in the world. And so anybody who is tapering or dimming their light because they don't want to intimidate somebody else, I would just ask yourself, like, do you want to keep being that smaller, more muted, lower volume version of yourself for the rest of your life? Mm -hmm. And if you do, that's great, but just know what you're trading it up for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what if you're, and I know you have clients that come to you as well who are just kind of confused about, you know, what is it that they want to be doing with their lives or they've been told their whole lives that they should be a doctor or, or a lawyer or, you know, a businessman for the, some of the men. I think for women, it's like just get multiple degrees and make sure that you're doing something mm -hmm. until you get married. That's kind of, I think, the stereotypical mindset. 
So, but I hear women coming into my office all the time and they're like, I, I, I don't know what I want to do mm-hmm. and I don't even know where to begin into getting to know myself and into getting to know what might be interesting for me as a career. So what are some maybe tips that you can provide our listeners for on how they can get more, begin to have more clarity on that stuff? Yeah, I would say the first thing is to stop getting in your own way with a lot of the mistakes that a lot of people make. I find that in today's world, there's a temptation to add something when something's not working in your life. Like, oh, my life is feeling a bit dull or I feel like something's missing. So I just need to add something else. But ultimately, I think Mm -hmm. that there's a lot more simplicity and happiness when we take a look at what we can remove from our lives. Usually there's some sort of noise we're buying into from our family or from our friends Mm -hmm. about what our options are. I know for me growing up as a kid, like, I don't think my parents really spoke much about career to me, but what I did take on, and and that's the thing with parenting, like conversations you don't have, that information is going to be collected somewhere, you Mm -hmm. know? And so for me, I ended up thinking that my options were like being a veterinarian and a doctor, a lawyer, like a firefighter, like an astronaut. Like so all of those like (laughs) weird job options, you know, like little did I know there's like a taste tester option and like a comedian option and like a video game player, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's just everything out there. And so... I would say, are you listening to noise in your life? Like, that's the first thing. Like, what is the noise you're listening to from the people around you? And more importantly, what is the noise you're listening to inside of yourself? You know, um, you were talking about money and how people are not wanting to intimidate. Like, if somebody's buying into the belief that their love life is going to suffer if they are happy in their career or they're thriving in their career, that's like a a, a recipe for like a a real buzzkill in like Mm -hmm. fulfillment, you know? Mm -hmm. So... I would say first things first is like get leverage on all of the stories that are like floating through the soup of your mind. Like grab a piece of paper and write down every sort of thing you're telling yourself that's making you feel stuck about your career. Like I can't make money because then my, you know, I won't be able to date the guys I want to date or I can't make money because the the skill that I have isn't something that gets money. You know, like whatever it is that you're believing, I would first pay attention to those stories. And then the second thing I would tell people to do is to stop buying into the, I think, addiction that we have, um, when it comes to our, our career, a lot of people think that what industry they're in is what matters most. So I think that's one of the biggest career misunderstandings is people are constantly thinking like, I love film. I might want to be in the film industry. I love fashion. I might want to be in the fashion industry, but that's just the wrong conversation. That's just the wrong conversation. And anybody who leads with industry or interest or follow your passion, it's really interesting. Um, Google has this thing called the Ngram uh, like, I don't know, it's like a graph thing. And the idea of follow your passion, if you type it into the engram, it shows that concept rising in social conversations mm-hmm. starting in the eighties, because Google is obviously a good reflection of what our conversations are as societies. Mm-hmm. So it tracks on Google, how much this concept is brought up. And it shows that as you go into the millennium and into now, this idea of follow your passion has been very much so entrenched in society. And I think that that has what is what got so many people confused when it comes to like, just because you're, you love, you know, uh, fashion doesn't mean that you're going to be a great designer. Doesn't mean that you understand your customer and also doesn't mean you're going to enjoy the responsibilities that come with being a fashion designer or even a fashion buyer. Like I think a lot of people who become fashion buyers don't realize that there's a lot of mathematics involved in a lot of spreadsheets. Like, are you down for that? So I think one of the misunderstandings truly is people trying to take their interest and turn it into a career when really it might just be meant to be an interest. 
And I think a much more powerful question to ask yourself is what is my core skill set? And in my book, Your U-Turn, one of the most important chapters I go through is what are your 10 core skill sets or what are the 10 core skill sets that I believe are out there and which one is yours? So I, I unlock about 10 of them and I swear to God, it's so challenging for me to remember all 10 of them. I always <laughs> like have to read my own notes on my own body of work, but to give you an example, there's a few core skill sets that I'm always remembering. Number one, um, yours could be beauty. That would probably be a secondary core skill set for you. Um, the person who has beauty as a core skill set and people always say, do I need two? Should I figure out my secondary one? I'm like, no, just know your primary one. The secondary one's just interesting to know. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say if I were picking yours, Nick, I would say your secondary core skill set is beauty. Like you definitely create aesthetics and beauty and experiences all around you. It's just a part of your innate being. And that's the thing about a core skill set. It's the thing that you're automatically doing. That's so easy and obvious to you, but it's not so easy and obvious to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what also gets us stuck is we take our gifts for granted. We think that they're so damn obvious and they're not like your ability to like make a dinner table beautiful. Like I can't do that. And it's, it's not easy and it's not <laughs> obvious for me. I need to like Google 50 pictures to, and you know, like order all the stuff. Whereas for you, you're just so creative in that way. Yeah. You're, you're the friend that is like already eating the food before anyone sits down and <laughs> it's the whole thing. <laughs> I know. Are you guys listening? Just so you know, like Nick, whenever she plans out meals and puts food on people's plates, she always puts more food on my plate. And that's how I know that it's my plate. <laughs> but yeah, like, and my core skill set is words. That's one. Two, so now we have two out of the 10, like beauty and words. That's my primary core skill set. And you're anybody who's listening, not to like toot my damn horn, horn over here, but like, this is the medium through which I have the most ease is communicating and sharing and painting a picture and giving away information. Mm -hmm. Other people's core skill set might be technology. Like, you know, thank God for the genius bar. I've spilled coffee on my MacBook three times too many yeah. and their core skill set is technology. <laughs> so they're fixing it with a lot of ease and it's very obvious for them. Yeah. Um, so interesting. So that the list not goes a core on. skill set for me at all. I mean, the <laughs> fact that you have all this podcast equipment set up, Nick, I can't even get over it. <laughs> like what is that red technology box right there? I think it's called a recorder and this is why I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> Somehow the recording makes it. Okay, really interesting. So it sounds like there are some, if it's not so much about following what you're passionate about, it's about getting to know yourself and what your core skill set is. Yeah, because your core skill set points to your responsibilities, what you're going to be up to throughout the day. So if if you think about fashion, you're just thinking about a fantasy. That's like a, a recipe for bad dating. Like if you just think about a high, how a guy looks or how a woman looks and like what they seem like in the world, that's just a fantasy. Who they are to you is what matters. Mm -hmm. You know, like who matters? It doesn't matter who they are. It matters who they are to you. And it's the same thing with your career. It doesn't matter how fashion sounds. What matters is how fashion is to you and how fashion is going to be to you comes back down to the title of the job and the bullet points under that title. Mm -hmm. And so I think people need to get out of their interests and into job postings, like read what the bullet points say that you're doing. Those point to a core skill set. Those point to res those responsibilities rep uh, point to how you're using your energy throughout the day, how you're harnessing different responsibilities. And so I think it's really important that people say, what is my core skill set? So for me, words, you know, for other people, it might be research, you know, um, analysis. I think that's the core skill set. What I would say is analysis. And those are like the researchers and the analysts and, you know, all different things. And for you as a therapist, you could argue that maybe a core skill set or, or secondary or 
you know, a third one for you is, is, um, analysis because you're constantly analyzing people. I know for me, having worked in counterterrorism and intelligence analysis, I had to reside in that core skill set, And that's why my career didn't feel so great for me. Mm. And, and that was the common misunderstanding. I loved words. So what did I do? And I was interested in politics, perfect recipe for me to go into counterterrorism. Mm-hmm. Like I can be an intelligence analyst. I can use words. I can write these things down and I'm interested in politics. So I'll be around politics, but ultimately the core skill set that those jobs actually pulled out were analysis. And that is not a core skill set for me. I don't like mm-hmm. to sit there and analyze things. You know me, I'm like 15 moves down the block before mm-hmm. I've been, while well, somebody else is analyzing mm-hmm. for the fourth hour, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. You know, I'm curious to hear more about also just like some money mindset limitations or barriers that mm-hmm. you've noticed. I know I've come to you throughout my journey of my career, and I know you've spent some time getting to know this community and our culture. And I think I'm in a very different place now and still kind of mm-hmm. every level there's something new to learn with money. Yeah. But what I'm wondering is what are some common maybe – limitations or beliefs that people have about money that keeps them stuck? Yeah, I think everybody has an inner set point of what feels comfortable for them, whether it's based on who they surround themselves with, what they're doing in their career right now, and what story they're telling themselves about how much they can make based on the person ahead of them or their boss, or their parents or their family. All of us have an inner set point of how much money is comfortable. And so Mm. I would invite anybody to ask themselves, like, right now, if you can close your eyes and just ask yourself, like, what is that number that's comfortable for you? Mm-hmm. Like what number feels like, yeah, that's, this is totally like fine to be going into my bank account and what's, and not just what you prefer, what feels comfortable. It's a very different question. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other question is asking yourself, what feels uncomfortable? How much money could you be making? That would make you feel a little nervous for me. When I started having success as an entrepreneur and you watched me have a whole lot of success and a lot of failure, I think part of my failure was that I wasn't comfortable making millions of dollars. Like I, I had a lot of different beliefs about that time in my life. Number one was the more I make, the more I have to lose. And so I registered money as pressure. I didn't see money as something that would make my life easier. I saw it as something that would make my life harder because then I'd have to keep earning it. I'd have to have a big team behind me to keep the money coming in, to keep Mm -hmm. the customers happy. So you had a story about maintaining it, maintaining it. And, and I also had a story about loss. So the, the fastest way to figure out what you think about money is to look at how you grew up around it and what conversation was going on in your household around it mm-hmm. and what kind of pain or pleasure that your parents were having about it, your mm-hmm. caretakers. Mm-hmm. So my dad was in a constant dialogue about um, he made a lot of money. He lost tens of millions of dollars when I was a little kid and we had to move homes. And as a little kid, I didn't even know that moving homes meant anything. I just thought like we're – I actually liked the fact that we were in a smaller house because I thought like we're all closer together. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's funny, the mind of a child versus the mind of an adult who's in this story about providing for their family when really if they, if my dad was able to zoom in in my mind as a kid, he would have realized like he's providing more for me with that tiny little house than he was maintaining this mm, huge life. When, so interesting. Yeah, yeah. When he wasn't available and he couldn't hang out with me. And I remember like the smaller backyard and the smaller house. And I just loved like the little crooks and corners of the house feeling like everybody was together and it was like a community for me in there. And my dad in the meantime was in a whole story that like this wasn't enough and that he was a failure. And he was, most of my adolescence was watched 
was watching him try to bounce back and recover from huge financial loss. And what I learned as I was watching him and the stories that came up in my mind, and, and I would invite anybody to do this, like take yourself into a moment with money. Maybe your parents didn't talk about money. That mm-hmm. itself is a story for you, mm-hmm. that it's not something you should talk about. And, and then I would ask, like, how do you make money if you can't talk about it? Or how do you set goals about it if you can't talk about it? So there's all different types of limitations. But mm-hmm. Um, in my mind as a little kid, the story that came up was making money is a lot of work Mm -hmm. and keeping it is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, why in anybody's mind would they want to do something that feels like a lot of work and it's really hard to keep? Why would you want to do that? Mm -hmm. You know? So for me, money had become a burden and I had these competing intentions on one side. I wanted to make a lot of it. And on another side, I didn't want to have to deal with the stress of it. And so I played that out in my mid-20s. I created a business. I created online courses. You watched me, Nick, closer than anybody probably with the journey that I had with that where I had a lot of failure. Nobody was buying my product. And then one day I figured out how to market myself on a webinar. And next thing I knew, I had a half million people register for my free training, made $5 million in three months. And I was scared. I was scared. I was terrified. I was terrified of criticism. I was terrified. And that's the thing that happens when you play a big game. There's criticism. But here's the thing is that my ego was already bruised by watching my dad. And it already had stories about how money's going to kill me. I literally had a belief that money would kill me. Watching him and how stressed he was, that it's going to be hard to keep up. It's going to be exhausting. So mm-hmm. by the time all that money came, all of those stories were very activated. Because just like the exercise I just gave right now, like for me, I was actually thinking the amount of money that's easy for me to make is 300 grand. Like, and Mm -hmm. and that might be a lot for some people, a little for some people, but that's like, that's like me and my business not really working Mm -hmm. that hard. And, and maybe for some people that money, that number is 50,000, you know, and for a while that might've been my number when I was in the workforce, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but when I think about money, that's edgy for me, I was, I saw that I saw a million dollars because I've made that before. And the moment I caught cross that threshold, I got stressed out. Mm -hmm. And so that's that number that's going to bring up all the stories for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm lucky in the sense where I've been there and directly experienced it. So I have information and, and experience to reflect on and look at, but, um, I would say it's really, really important to just kind of at least know that what these stories are so that you can get support. And I think that's why you being a therapist, Nick, is, is so needed. And I think people need it more than ever. Um, and it blows my mind that it's not something that is socially like a norm. Like mm-hmm. it, it's a norm in the sense where you go see a therapist, but to the point where I think everybody should have a therapist. Like everybody's having little thoughts that float through their mind before they go to bed at night. And the <laughs> fact that they're not sharing it with anybody and they're like trying to make sense of it themselves, that's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you bring up something really interesting, which is, um, and I've done this activity, uh, Alyssa Nobrigo was showing us this money, money, money mindset activity mm-hmm. where you have, you know, you write down your dad's name on the top of a page and then in another column you write your mom's name and then you write down all their ways of relating to money mm. and all the beliefs they have about money and then you kind of see which ones you've taken on mm-hmm. and which ones you have yourself. So I think that's really interesting. I do think you bring up a really interesting thing also with parents where I think for a lot of us, um, we've watched our dads sort of be the financial breadwinner in this community and that women are supposed to be at home. And if they women are working, it's not supposed to be in something that makes 
a lot of money. So I think a lot of women have grown up, myself included, kind of sometimes a little bit confused about how to navigate being like a female entrepreneur, starting your own business, or even just like, even if you are in the workforce, like negotiating a salary, like how does it look on a woman versus a man? Is this even a conversation that we need to be thinking about or having? Should it all be equal? Like, how do you, how do you, and I think you kind of went through this too, is like, how do you kind of set yourself up to feel supported by the women around you when you Mm -hmm. have a question or when you're building or expanding or thinking about creating something? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just to close out the, the, our conversation just around money, I think ultimately what it comes down to is self-sabotage. And once we hit our inner set point, we tend to self-sabotage. So just noticing mm-hmm. where you're self-sabotaging, if you're stepping away from promotions or opportunities, I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. As it relates to being a female entrepreneur or the upbringings in your community, um, we all know like your community is more collectivistic, you know, it's all about the collective and that's why there's a lot of people pleasing and a lot of self-suppression and a lot of, um, like, I'm not going to say what I want because it's a, what was the term that you used? Taroff, Taroff, whatever, (laughs) you know, like, um, I know Nick, that when you came on vacation with my girlfriends, you were talking about how there was, nobody has any tar off. So every you're, you know, you're like, do you want to, do you want the front seat? And my friend's like, yeah, absolutely. Thanks. You know, it's just amazing. (laughs) And so I would say the first thing that would be medicine for anybody who's thinking about money and their career or starting a business is to be unapologetic about what you want. Mm -hmm. And I know it's easier said than done, but I also mean that for both sides of the equation. If you are somebody that you actually feel very nourished by the idea of being a mother and not having a career and that Mm -hmm. resonates deeply for you, then be unapologetic about that and share that in your conversations when you're dating. Um, and like be willing to receive the support for that, the judgment for that, whatever comes up by from other people from that and just stand in your lane because that's just your side of the street. Other people can do what they want on their side of the street with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Beautifully said. Yeah. But I also think that a lot of people are making that choice out of fear. So be on ap- apologetic about what you actually want, but make sure that what you actually want is what you actually want. I agree. hundred percent. There's so many people hiding behind them saying that they want something when really they're just terrified of putting themselves out there and there's some little tiny inkling of something inside of them that actually wants to know what life would be like if they did put themselves out there and be if they, they weren't a mother if they weren't a wife or mm-hmm. if they weren't in the workforce or if they actually just did the thing that they truly wanted to do yeah and my I mean look at my partnership like my partner's Middle Eastern he's pretty modern but at the same time he has some like typical gender role stuff um from like a Middle Eastern collectivistic culture um and for a lot of time, I, th- I think out of the fatigue that I had of being an entrepreneur and really crushing it and then losing everything, I was just like, fuck it. Like, I'm, am I allowed to say that on this podcast? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Everyone always asks me that. <laughs> really? I don't know. I, I guess there's like, especially with your culture, there's a few rules, you know? <laughs> I'm like, did I just break a big one? But yeah. We're unapologetically going to cuss on this podcast. (laughs) We're going to fucking say what the fuck we want. (laughs) But yeah, so I would say um, with him, you know, like I think when I came into that relationship, um, there was some part of me that was fatigued and was coming from the wrong place of, you know what, I could kind of use a breather. I've been braving the storm of entrepreneurship. I've been doing really well and I have a lot of responsibility and it could kind of be nice to hide behind somebody else. And I noticed like that's just not the truth for me because – 
every time he puts his career before mine, there's like some little like feisty thing inside of me that's like, what, what, you think your career is more important than mine? Like, think again, (laughs) you know, like, and that can come from anything. Like if he thinks I should make dinner, but we both have an equally busy day or my book has a deadline and he thinks I should like, you know, Hey, can you whip me this up? I'm like, are you not aware of my book deadline? So like, I still think there's like badass bitch inside of me. That's like, I'm going to have my career and like, you don't get to tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think being unapologetic looks like being deeply honest with yourself about where you're coming from when you're making your choices. And the thing about the truth is that it's very grounded. It's very quiet and it's very calm message. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's not sad. It's just, it's just the truth. So I would ask yourself what you want. And if you do want to have a career, I think, um, you know, all of the research around being around the five people that you are around and the influence that they have on you is true. So I would say, you know, take a look at who your A team is. Like, are they a, are they a C team? Are they a D team? Like, who who is it in your life that you surround yourself with that you listen to? Um, because people who have good luck are people who are creating good luck, and they don't hang out with bottom feeders. And it's not to be rude, it's not to be blunt, but like, if people around you are often victimized or feeling small. Um, it's not to say that you need to throw away those people. You can appreciate them and love them, but it is to say that you need to add different stories into your life. You need to change the TV station and set some intention behind the kind of person and energy field you want to be around as well. Mm. And, um, you know, if you're the smartest person or the most inspired person in the room, you're definitely in the wrong room, you know, like Mm. what are you doing? Like elevating the masses all the time. Like, what is that about? Mm -hmm. Like, do you want to rescue people? Are you just like feeling valuable from that? Like, Mm -hmm. I think I am, I'm, I'm not the most intelligent person in the room of a lot of my girlfriends. After I leave here tonight, I'll be seeing a lot of my, my girls and they all, you know, earn eight figures a year and have businesses that are crushing it. And money is not necessarily a measure of success by any means, but it is a measure of energetic output. Like the value that they must be putting out in the world for their business to be generating that kind of revenue is very high. You know, because you can't, maybe you can make money quick and like scheme the system, but you can't keep your business if, if what you're offering is shitty, you know, mm-hmm. like eventually people don't buy it. So mm-hmm. I, I see them as very high impact, high inspiration women and the uh, money is very easy for them and they have a very good story about it. They have a very good story about purpose and their careers. They just have a positive dialogue going on about it all. So when I'm around them, it's like, it's, it's a very quick hack to rewrite the story I'm telling myself because I kind of come in, I'm like, oh, this feels hard. This feels stressful. They're like, what are you talking about? Have you considered this? Have you considered that? And, um, and that's what I strive for. So anybody who's listening right now, I would say you owe it to yourself first and foremost to evaluate community, evaluate the people in your circle and ask yourself, where can you go? Who can you communicate with? Um, how can you be vulnerable and maybe even join a group of people that you don't know so that you can start giving yourself that gift of having a community that truly elevates you and inspires you? Beautiful. I love that. My next question for you, and I think my last sort of question for you is, what are some myths that people have when it comes to their career journey that mm-hmm. keep them stuck? And what would you say is a positive reframe for some of those myths or what's the truth? Yeah, I mean, I know we talked a little bit about like follow your passion and how that's a myth. It's more about your skill set and who you are. And also the myth of like, I I would say another huge myth that people buy into is that they should have like a five-year plan or that that their career is linear. I think that's Mm -hmm. insane. It, It never ceases to amaze me the amount of people that will put themselves in golden handcuffs for a job that's paying them decently well and feels somewhat stable like that stability is an illusion anyway like 
we all saw with COVID that things can change quickly and the workforce can go upside its head anyway. Mm -hmm. So I would say, um, the biggest myth to me is that your career should have some sort of exact plan that you're abiding by. I think ultimately as people, we're changing and evolving beings and the same pair of jeans that you love five years ago probably isn't the same pair of jeans that you love today. And so it is with your career. Mm -hmm. Um, another huge myth. So you're saying like, it's okay for things to change Yeah, and it's okay for the plan to change. And it's not just okay. It's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big myth is like that you, yes, there are people who are executives that climb the ladder. But, um, I would say if you ask most of them, do you absolutely love what you're doing? Are you fulfilled? Like most of them are not going to say yes. Um, and, and that's just because I've been on the other side of it as a coach and I'm listening to people share the truth. Like, Anybody from a celebrity who doesn't want to make movies anymore to, um, you know, an admin assistant who doesn't know what she wants to do is come into my practice. And I, I feel like I've gotten a pretty good pulse of the workforce. And mm-hmm. with 71% of the workforce looking for a job at any given time, I've come to believe that they're not just looking for a job. They're looking for clarity. And they're trying to scratch an itch of something that's missing in their last job. And so the most sustainable thing you can do is go back to your core skill set and say, because that is the thing you carry with you forever. Maybe the job or the titles or the places you go are, are a bit different or the things you try on. But if you can c- continue to devote yourself to the one core skill set, the thing you do that's so automatic for you, that is where your career is going to thrive. I would say another myth that people buy into is that you should take a job just to get your foot in the door. That's like a huge lost cause. Here's what happens when you take a job to get your foot in the door. You pigeonhole yourself into a job you don't even want. They train you for it. And then when the job you actually want is open, you're doing fine at that job. Why would they want to move you and inconvenience themselves, you know, to train you in the new job and get somebody else for the job you're doing so well? It just doesn't happen. Like taking a job to get your foot in the door is actually crazy to me. Take the job you want, like network, have conversations with people. Get, get a job that you actually want. You don't need to set yourself up for something ridiculous. You don't need to say, I want to be this crazy job. Like you can get something in the same neighborhood as the job you want that prepares you for the job you deeply want. Um, and if you don't know what the job is that you want, start having conversations with people so that you can get more clarity based on real stories of people who are out there and not the fantasy that we all have in mm-hmm. our heads. Yeah, I think that's great advice is like start making some coffee appointments with people and doing mm-hmm. some informational interviews with them about what is it like for them to be in that role and in that career? What is it like with their personal life versus their work-life balance? And what are they enjoying? How much are they even like what took them there? Yeah. And where are they going from there? What are the pitfalls and downfalls of that career? What are the strengths of that career and the things, the advantages that come with that career? Yeah. And if so they important. don't like their career, take it lightly too, because they're the, they're one of many people in that type of career and mm-hmm. that they're their, their own person with their own unique experiences and lenses that they look at the world and their own core skill set that might have nothing to do with the one that that role is calling forward that you actually are meant to be doing. Yeah. Like they might say, what I, what I hate about my job is that I have to travel, but that might be like a plus you for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. People are very quick to dismiss options. And I think that's what gets them stuck is they haven't checked it out enough and I'm you know me I like I can't do indecision and so it's not that I tell people to sit and marinate in something but mm-hmm. I would say to hold other people's negative energy about something lightly and make sure that you check it out for yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. beautiful thank you so much Ash this was so easy Nick <laughs> has it really been like of course it's my pleasure <laughs> I love you thank you for you. being on here how can our listeners get more of you and I know you're coming out with a book and so many wonderful things always all the time. So please share. Yeah. I'm a little bit of a content machine these days. You've seen it. (laughs) 
Um, my book U-Turn is coming out in January. It's already available for pre-order. I'm going to be giving away a free U-Turn course that I'm really excited about for anybody who pre-orders. Um, I also have a free quiz on my website at ashleystall.com. Um, on how to figure out which career is best for you. And we send a handful of emails based on your personality type. So that's really helpful. Um, so you could go to ashleystall.com for that, or you can go to uturnbook.com. It's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N book.com to get a copy of your book. Amazing. Thank you so much. I love you. Thanks for having me, Nick.